going to sashay, I guess you'll say, a little bit, side, side step, rapid trail, whatever you want to call it, um, and go back and touch on something and hopefully expand on it in a way that will encourage our hearts and maybe challenge your thinking a little bit about what you believe. In the book of Colossians, in uh, chapter 1, in verse 21, it says there, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Now, what I want to focus on here is where it says uh, you are alienated. Alienated from Israel, alienated from God, alienated from the promises that God had given. And if you turn over to the twin epistle of Ephesians, chapter 2, and we'll look at a couple other verses there. Ephesians chapter 2, you know, here he says you're in, in Colossians, you're, you're alienated, you're hostile in mind, and you're doing evil deeds. So, Paul describes the Ephesian believers in the same way. If you look at chapter 4 and verse 17, and then we'll go back to chapter 2. In chapter 4, verse 17, it says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, we're speaking about the Gentiles. Who are alienated, but now he's addressing the uh, Colossian believers and the, here are the Ephesian believers regarding their relationship that has now changed because they have believed in Christ. They believe the gospel. And he says, You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Now that's just a plain description of where the world is today. If they're not a believer, they're not a Christian, this describes them alienated from the life of God, ignorant, and hearts that are hardened. Now, turning over to chapter 2 of Ephesians, Notice what Paul says there. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. I want you to take note of that. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You know, here's what we want to do and ask the question, is there a future for national Israel? Is there something out there yet that this Bible teaches that, that's still for national Israel? You know, and, and when you read a verse like this, it's pretty easy to see that when he says you're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, he does not mean national Israel. 
In other words, when Jews came to believe, or excuse me, when Gentiles came to believe in Christ, they did not become part of the nation of Israel. There's something else at play here regarding the commonwealth of Israel. Now, so we want to look at this question. Is there a place? Now, this is just going to be verse after verse after verse to look at. So turn to Acts chapter 2. <coughs> Acts chapter 2, verse 36. <coughs> where Peter says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. I'm here when he talks about the house of Israel. You know, they were in existence at this point in time. They were still considered a nation. That's who he's addressing himself to, the house of Israel. It was national Israel that was charged with the crucifixion of Christ. Now, um, you know, the scriptures repeatedly talk about hope. And the passages we read in Colossians and Ephesians says that these Gentiles were without hope. In Ephesians, over in Colossians, he says he warned them to not be shifting away or moving away from the hope. So the implication is then is the nation of Israel had a hope. What were they hoping for? I want to turn to a few passages in, in Psalms. So if you'll turn to Psalm 33, and if you jump ahead and you're fast, you can go to Psalm 130, and if you're faster yet, you can go to Psalm 147. And we will eventually come there. Psalm 33, 130, and 147. In Psalm 33, <coughs> he says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, or your mercy, you're using King James, be upon us, even as we hope in you. O Psalm 130, verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord, or hope in Yahweh, for with Yahweh there is mercy steadfast love and with him is plentiful redemption and that's psalm 147 and verse 11. now i hope you see that there's been a repeat over and over and i could read several other verses from the psalms that say the same thing psalm 147 verse 11 says but yahweh takes pleasure in those who fear him in those who hope in his steadfast love. So you might be wondering, what is his steadfast love? Or what is his mercy? What is this that Israel was hoping for? Well, um, you know, this, this Hebrew word, hesed, or and I never can do it the way you're supposed to do. It's got a kind of a go sound. You have to talk to somebody that speaks Hebrew to really get it right. So I just, I'm blundered all the pieces. But, so I just say Hesed. You know, it has a C-H beginning. But it, it's talking about, you know, that word has to do with his steadfast love or his loving kindness. And it's translated that way sometimes as his loving kindness. And so their hope was in Yahweh's loving kindness 
toward his people Israel, that he would fulfill the promises that he had given to them, especially the promise to Abraham. What they often forgot was there was a promise to the Gentiles, to Abraham as well. So, where do we go from here? Well, let's go to Matthew chapter 23 and verse 39. Matthew 23, verse 39. And then if you want to turn to Luke 21 and verse 24. That'll help you get ahead a little bit. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 39, Jesus says, For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now you don't see the name Israel there, right, in the context, and the implication is, you know, you Jews as a nation will not see me again until I come in the name of the Lord. In Luke 21 and verse 24. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until, and of course the word until there is important, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot until the times of the Gentiles. The implication being when the times of the Gentiles had come, you know, Israel would be recognized as a nation. In Acts chapter 1, verse 6, a verse you know well, when the disciples asked Jesus, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Well, that was national Israel. They were looking for Jesus to come as king and restore the nation. You know, they were, they were living in Israel. They were living in Jerusalem, Samaria. But they had a hostile empire that was ruling over them, Rome. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. He says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may, send, he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time. So we see that expression again. Until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Restoration. Romans chapter 11 and verse 1. And really just the, the first phrase of Romans 11, 1, where he said, well, are you there yet? Okay. Romans 11, 1. Paul there says, in, in just the first phrase of that, that verse, I ask then, has God rejected his people? And the ESV says, by no means. You and I today would say, no way. It's not going to be. God has not rejected his people. 
So, and I have many other verses that I could read regarding this future for national Israel. Now, this is a breakaway here in, you know, uh, well, um, we'll call it, just call it dispensationalism as opposed to covenant theology. Dispensationalism, and there's a distinction between the two. In dispensationalism, what was traditionally taught over the past, well, over 100 years now, well over 150 years, was that God has two programs in history, one for Israel and one for the church. And that there is a clear, clean dividing line between Israel over here and the church over here. And salvation applies to the time from Pentecost until the rapture for this new dispensation. Under this dispensation, it would not include Old Testament believers. Because that, that was Israel. The church is something else. It began with Pentecost. And it's separate and distinct. Covenant theologians take a different approach. They tell us, well, Israel is just out of the picture. When God instituted the church at Pentecost, that was the end of Israel. Now we just have the church, and they replaced Israel. And they have good reason for saying so. There's some strong spiritual support for that view. But there's another view that I think is far more scriptural. And it's, it's something that takes a combination of both of these views. Because an honest look at scripture will show you that there is something in the way of national Israel and a future for her and an incorporation of New Testament believers with the Old Testament believers. We're going to look at those things. So these these views, both of them have their problems. And today we want to focus on something else here and how to reconcile that. In, back in our passage where we started in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21, Paul says there, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled. And of course the question you would ask is, reconciled to what? How has he reconciled the Gentile world? He has, you have now been reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. I want you to just look at those words. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. In what sense then were they reconciled? Well, if you turn over then where we just have been, also back to Ephesians chapter 2. So let's go back over there to verse 11. And notice what Paul tells the Ephesian believers. And I just I can't help but sit and thinking there about these Christians sitting in, you know, a room somewhere, whether it's a rented little hall or somebody's home. 
you know, and they pulled that scroll open and they're reading, you know, they're reading this letter that Paul had sent. We know Epaphras read the letter to the Colossian believers, um, you know, and they're sitting there listening to this, mostly to the Gentiles, but Jews as well. And he says there in verse 11, Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Well, that's important to know. This is something that took place by hand. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, or some would say from the citizenship of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, he tells us really four things in this passage. They've been alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They are strangers to the covenants of promise. He says they are having no hope and they are without God in this world. And what a terrible condition to be in. What, what, what hopelessness. And as we look at, boy, if we had time to look at some other passages, we would note that um, and, and, and as we've said before, if you were a Gentile, you were under a, 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 a foreign power. Not just a foreign power here on earth in flesh, but foreign powers in heaven were operating over the Gentile nations. So that when Paul and others began to go to those nations and preach the good news about Jesus Christ, his death, his burial and his resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of the Father, they recognized, and the part of the gospel message was the power that had been unleashed in the resurrection. And that if they would believe on Christ, they did not have to live in fear of those gods anymore. That's why they came in, you know, in, in well, we'll look at that, but anyway. You know, in the early church, they came in droves, thousands coming to believe. And then as those Jewish people who were in town for Pentecost holiday festival, they went back to their home countries carrying that same message. And Gentiles began to believe. I mean, if you were under the domination of some evil, wicked spirit or God, and you found out that the true and living God, the Most High, the Creator of heaven and earth, had released by, his, by the power of His Son and His resurrection. I mean, you would want to jump all over that. And they, so they believed. So, here's the thing. These, these Gentiles, having possession of these things because of the result of the gospel, has, it, it, it does, does, not weigh, does not mean, and it could not mean, 
that now they became members of the nation of Israel. If they were members of the commonwealth of Israel, it had to mean something else. It was not ethnic Israel. So just hang on to that thought so we can follow this through. Um, <clears throat> we're, you know, we've, we've discussed two entities here, the church and Israel. And really there was three. You had national Israel, which we're all familiar with easily. There was true Israel. That was the believing women. And then there were the Gentiles. So you had three groups to deal with. Now, let's take a look at some things. In 1 Kings chapter 19, in verse 18, you know, don't even turn there, I'll just read it because you know this passage uh, well, where um, God said, Yet I, I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. And what is, you said, well, well, I don't really understand. What does that mean? What simply means there was a faithful remnant that God had reserved for himself, the rest of the nation had gone off the beaten path. They were embracing those foreign gods. And so the end result, the prophets preached over and over for them to repent. And they did. And so God sent them into exile. But there was a faithful remnant. And so what I'm trying to get you to see is that there were two entities in the Old Testament there was national Israel, and there was embedded within them was this believing remnant. Hang on to that. Who were this believing remnant? Well, there are all kinds of them. Many are given by name. People like David. People like Joash. Or uh, who else did I have down here? Uh, Boaz. All the prophets. Plus the 7,000 that he just mentioned. All of these were people of righteous status. Blameless people. Those who held and clung to Yahweh and did not bow the knee to Baal. Or the Baals. You can actually say it in plural because these foreign nations, you know, they had many gods. And who knows who all they embraced. But Baal is the term that's used to cover all humans. Most of these gods. Um, and the women, out of some women too. What about Deborah? <coughs> yeah. What about Hannah? I love that passage in First Samuel and Hannah's prayer. I, I, I really, really like that. These were genuine believers and part of the remnant who clung to Yahweh and trusted in him and believed him in spite of what the rest of the nation was doing. Now, and so they, they're the true Israel. That's, and we'll, we'll come to the rest of it and see it. But just because, in other words, just because all of Israel was circumcised did not guarantee that they were members of true Israel. They were members of the nation. Ethnic Israel but that didn't mean that they were part of the true Israel. Why? 
because they were not just circumcised in the flesh made by hands, they were circumcised in heart. That set them apart from all the rest of ethnic Israel or national Israel. They were true believers. Yeah, the same thing going on today. You, know, you, might, you might come and sign a document and become and you know come forward and get baptized and be a member of the church. That doesn't mean that you're you're a faithful member. It doesn't mean you're well to Christ. I mean, you know, in evangelism, people come to Christ all the time. And then they go off and just live how they want to live. You know, I got my ticket to heaven, so what do I need to worry about? I pray the prayer. Thank God for those who do pray the prayer. And they experience that born-again, life-changing breath from God who gives them new life. And that's what you and I need to be sure we have. And then to do what Paul said to the Colossians and really the Ephesian believers also, don't be moved away from the hope of the gospel. That's loyalty to Christ. That's taking up your cross. That's following Him. That's being obedient to the faith. That's walking in faith. Clinging to faith. Now, uh, if you turn to Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. Another familiar passage, but we'll come to just look at it. Because here, Paul describes this very thing. He was just saying earlier in chapter 2, uh, concerning the Jews, that they had no guarantees about the promise, about the fulfillment of hope to them. And he says in verse 28, he says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, that is, having been circumcised. Nor is circumcision outward and physical. That's not it. He says a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So what I'm, what I'm trying to get you to see is that in the Old Testament, that, you know, as, as you look at the flow of history, you know, if, if this is the way I picture it in my mind. Here, here's Israel. You know, I've got a line up here, a line down here. And here's Israel, you know, walking through the flow of history. Embedded within that flow is a remnant. And there has always been a remnant. Romans chapter 9 and verse 6. You just, right now, you just get turned a couple pages over. Romans 9 and verse 6 says, But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Well, what kind of, if they don't, what kind of Israel is that? You know. Not all who are descended from Israel, national Israel, belong to Israel. Because they're not circumcised in heart. Oh, outwardly they're circumcised in flesh, and they belong a part of national Israel. 
but having not been circumcised in heart, they don't belong. And not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Just being a child of the flesh, that is, a circumcised male, that didn't guarantee you anything other than that you were a member of the nation of Israel. And Paul's looking all the way back to Abraham, and he says that it's Abraham's offspring that really counts. And why is that? Because Abraham's a man of faith. He believed God's promise. And we know what happened, you know. Abraham took him, or God took him outside. He says, Abraham, look up at the stars. And it says that he believed, and his faith was counted to righteousness. Now, even in the New Testament, during that era of the birth of Christ, you know, so there was this long extended, some 400 year period, uh, from the final letter or book of the Old Testament, Malachi, all the way up to the time of Christ. So we want to look then at what was going on when Jesus was born. Alright? So let's turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. And then if you want to turn another page over, get your finger into Luke chapter 2. And from there we'll go to Galatians 3. So Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Notice what it says there. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God. Walking blamelessly. Remember I told you to hang on that word blameless earlier? When he told the uh, Colossian believers, after having been reconciled, he says, in order to present you blameless, it's the same thing. And they were blameless in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So what am I getting at? Well, in that flow of history, with that remnant all the way up to the birth of Christ, there was a remnant. There were righteous people. Zechariah and Elizabeth are representations of them. If you turn over to chapter 2 and verse 25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. I'm going to tell you, those who worshiped Baal did not have the Holy Spirit come upon them. That was a whole different spirit altogether. So there was a righteous remnant, all blameless. You know, they walked in, in obedience to Torah. They fulfilled the law. And God worked through them in regards to the birth of Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, look at verse 16. It says there, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. 
Who are the offspring that get to have those promises? Well, it does not say, and the offsprings, plural, or seeds, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So what's his point? He says, well, if, and if you are Christ, notice the word, then. If you are Christ, he tells the Ephesian believers, the Colossian believers, you have been reconciled by his blood, brought near. Then, he says, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Acts chapter 2. Turn back to Acts chapter 2. And a little bit of an extended passage there where he says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a, as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now that little group of 120, they were believers. They had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ during his lifetime and his earthly ministry. And so they were all gathered together in obedience to what they had been told to wait for the promise of the Spirit. So here they were, and it's coming. And he says there, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men. Men who... Because of their devoutness, had made the trip all the way from their whatever country they were living in, whether it was Greece or Galatia or um, Asia Minor, wherever they came to Pentecost to observe what God had told them to do. And he says there they were from every nation under heaven. Now, Acts. Uh, look at verse, we're still in chapter 2 I'm sorry, look at verse 46 and day by day it says, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes that is these, these new believers they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That is to say, in the early church, was comprised primarily of all, all Jews. They formed the nucleus of the new body of Christ. They were incorporated in, you know, into this new, this new body of believers in Jesus, their Messiah. And so, you have this extension. You have this remnant flowing all the way from Abraham. And some would actually say, well, it really goes back all the way to Adam. So that's okay. But at least to Abraham, because Paul refers to the promises given through Abraham. So I'm going back to Abraham at least. And that believing remnant has flowed all the way through Israel's history right up to this very moment. You know, it's only been 50 days since Jesus was crucified. 
It's only been 50 days since he rose from the grave. And these men, you know, in the weeks in between, had been traveling, most of them, making their way down to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of Pentecost. And when they got there, they heard this message. They heard this message that Peter and the rest of the disciples were preaching about how Jesus had been crucified by their own nation, ethnic Israel. Now it was charged with the crucifixion of Christ. Now I've always loved what Arlen Chicken said about that. That he said, you know, it was the Jews' responsibility, only a Jew could bring lamb to, to uh, Passover. And so it had to be Israel who was responsible for crucifying the Lamb of God. Ethnic Israel, the nation, charged with this crime. And of course then Peter goes on, and I need to turn over there because I have done what I told you to do. In Acts chapter 2, you know, he goes on then, um, well, actually we need to back up because I think you do. Yeah. Um, if you look at verse 16, where concerning these, the, these who were speaking in tongues, you know, Peter said, well, in the last day, it was uttered through the prophet Joel, in the last days it shall be God, it shall be God declared that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below. You know, I think, sometimes we think, and I know I'm guilty, that we, we just think about, you know, Jesus coming to earth and being born of a virgin, being, becoming a man, having a body of flesh like you and I have, being crucified, persecuted, suffering on the cross, dying, and being resurrected. What, you know, and, and the change that came over the Gentiles and all the nations on the earth. But you, if you read carefully, most of the New Testament says earth and heaven. There were things that took place in heaven because of the resurrection of Christ. It wasn't just earthly, it was earth and heaven. The powers of heaven. Remember how Paul says, he said basically, I don't care whether it's thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, principalities, it doesn't matter. They've all been defeated. Christ has risen victoriously and brought defeat to them. And that's what brought thousands to come to believe in Christ. Even as the disciples and the missionary Paul went out and preached the gospel to the Gentile nations, they came to believe because they understood that they no longer had to be under the dominion of those gods. And they were now incorporated into that believing remnant. 
So what I'm saying is there is some kind of sense here in which there, you know, believers are incorporated or brought into this commonwealth of Israel, as Paul calls it. What am I trying to say? Oh, I read, I couldn't tell you how many verses we read, I didn't count about what the scriptures teach about a future for national Israel. What I'm trying to say here is that both elements are taught in scripture. There is a future yet for national Israel. There is a believing remnant that has become, well, I'm talking about Gentiles here, Gentiles who have been united to or joined in with that believing remnant of Israel. And they are now members of one body. Paul says that out here for Jew, Gentile, slave, free, um, you know, whatever. There's no distinction. Male or female. They're all the same in the body of Christ. So those believing Jews who were, you know, nothing, you know, they were incorporated into the body of Christ. Gentiles, when they believed, became members of the body of Christ. This was a, a new element, a new era, or I should say a new entity that God had created. So I'm going to quit. Because I have too much more to say, and it will never, ever fit in. But we're going to take up next week, and Lord willing, I'll maybe finish what I'm going to say here regarding these things. I hope that you are not stuck in a system. This is one of the things that I had to break free from. Over 45 years ago, I was introduced to you know, the standard, typical, dispensational thing. That's all I ever knew. And it's taken me a while to realize that there's more to this distinction of, between Israel and the church. That the line is not as rigid and hard and distinct as we think it is. Now it's there. I'm not denying that. I mean, I read, like I said, I read, I couldn't tell you how many verses uh, concerning a future for national Israel. But we're going to look at some other passages that talk about another entity that both Jews and Gentiles are incorporated into. And that believing remnant has continued right on from Abraham, or if you want to go back to Adam, it has continued right on to this present day. It hasn't gone away. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the tender mercies of our Lord Jesus Christ, the grace that you have given to us in him to know that just as there is a future for Israel, there's a future for us. And I pray, God, that we would take seriously what you said to the believers of Colossae, that they would not be moved away from the hope of the gospel. Not moved away from the hope of the glory that's to come. What Paul said to the Roman church, that if we suffer with him, then it will be glorified together with him. So I pray that we would be strong in faith and continue to believe. In 
until that day when you call us home or you come to uh, fulfill what all that you said about what you're going to do for Israel. And you establish your kingship. Sitting on that throne, 